Indeed, as Jesus' body lay in the grave on Friday and Saturday and an early part of Sunday, it did not see decay. It did not start to return to dust, unlike our bodies. The Lord God preserved him, and he rose from the grave on the third day. I invite you to turn in God's holy word to Hebrews chapter 9 for our sermon this morning. Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll be looking at verses 6 through 15 of the ninth chapter of Hebrews. Pay attention now. This is the reading of God's holy errant and fully trustworthy word. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption." For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be our preacher this morning to Open your word up to us, to our minds and to our hearts, that we may receive it with joy and with gladness at what Christ has done, at his finished work on our behalf as our only hope and comfort in this life. Oh Lord, would you please sear this text upon our minds and our hearts that we may see the glory of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf and the implications that it calls us to as we walk in this pilgrim journey. Through Christ our Lord and Savior we pray. Amen. 
When I was a child and a teenager, I got caught up in the left behind craze. You may remember those series of books that uh, came out back in the early 90s. And, and I really enjoyed hearing about the, the Old Testament temple. And I believed in the, the secret rapture of believers and the seven-year tribulation for those who were left behind. They, they were fascinating uh, stories. I was captivated by, the, by this fascinating teaching. And one aspect of this teaching uh, that is, is an interpretation of the book of Revelation, uh, as well as the entirety of Scripture and its uh, structure, is that during the seven-year tribulation, the Old Testament temple will be rebuilt and animal sacrifices will be reinstituted. But our text this morning really argues against such an understanding. So as we celebrate Easter Sunday today, the, the author of Hebrews wants us to see on the spiritual level what Christ's death and resurrection means and how it is better than the Old Testament system. Ultimately, the Old Testament system was a, a shadow and a type that pointed forward to the greater and more perfect and ultimate work of Jesus Christ. And so this morning we see this under two points. First, in verses 6 through 10, we have the lesser blood that the Old Testament priests offered. The lesser blood that the Old Testament priests offered. And then in verses 11 through 15, we have the greater blood of Christ, the high priest. The greater blood of Christ, the high priest. First, verses 6 through 10, and the lesser blood that the Old Testament priests offered. The word now at the beginning of uh, verse 6, or your translation may say thus, connects us back to the first five verses of this chapter where the author talks about the two-part structure of the temple. There was the holy place with the, the lampstand and the table and the, the bread of presence. And then there was the inner, the second place, the most holy place, the holy of holies, where there was the golden altar and the incense and the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. Having talked about the structure of the temple and its furnishings, verses 6 through 10 now talk about the service or the worship that was offered within this temple structure. Once everything was set up, once the house was furnished, so to speak, the priest entered into the first part of the temple on a daily basis. I'm not sure what is going on. Maybe I just need to stand still. So these Old Testament priests, look at verse 6, go regularly into the first section. This is the holy place, performing their ritual duties. You can read about this in various places in the Old Testament, such as Exodus chapters 29 and 30 as well as Leviticus chapter 24. In Psalm, these priests had to keep the lampstand burning. They had to burn incense twice a day. Uh, they had to uh, eat the 12 loaves of bread every Sabbath and replenish or replace uh, those 12 loaves with a new dozen. And so there was a daily and weekly service that was offered by the Levitical priest in the temple. But there was also an annual service that was offered by the high priest. Look at verse 7. 
but into the second, that is the holy of holies, the most holy place, only the high priest goes, and only but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself, and for the unintentional sins of the people. Here, the second part of the temple could only be entered by one person, one time a year. And in order to do that, the high priest had to bring a sacrifice both for himself as well as for the entire nation of Israel. He had to bring blood into the most holy place and sprinkle that blood seven times on the floor and on the mercy seat, which was laid on top of the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim and the outspread wings. And these were sins, we are told, that were unintentional sins of the people at the end of verse 7. These were sins that were not done intentionally from a heart of rebellion. Sins of ignorance were sins that were not premeditated and not done in open defiance of God's law and in the presence of God's people. Numbers chapter 15 makes this distinction between a high-handed sin, one done deliberately and out in the open by a person whose heart has not been changed and whose fist is raised against God. That was a a high-handed sin. That's not the sins that are being talked about here. Sins done unintentionally were sins done by those who who wished to honor God and wished to obey God, and yet they recognized that they still fell short of his perfect standard. It is for these types of sins that the high priest made atonement once a year on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And in verse 8, the author draws a conclusion from this Old Testament temple structure as well as the Old Testament temple system. And he says this, by this, by this whole system and structure, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. Namely, access to God was not achieved by these Old Testament rituals. As Dr. Mike Kruger at RTS Charlotte puts it, quote, Old Testament worshipers took part in real worship, and it was the real God they were worshiping, but it all had to be done at a distance. Access was denied. Only the priests could go into the holy place, and then only the high priest could go into the most holy place, and even that was restricted to one time a year. So the vast majority of God's people in the Old Testament never made it beyond the courtyard where the bronze altar was, where the animal sacrifices were offered for the people. They were kept outside of the holy place and the most holy place. In addition to that, these ceremonies and rituals had to be repeated on a a daily, weekly, and yearly basis. And the fact that they had to be repeated showed that true access was not there. They could not actually accomplish the work to which they pointed. And the author says that the the Holy Spirit is the specific person of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity, who teaches us this fact, who reveals this, that the very structural setup of the temple itself, the whole tabernacle, 
as well as the fact that this was limited to a select group of people out of the entire covenant people of God, and only at certain times could they enter into certain places, shows us that, that this is imperfect. The way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. This entire system reveals that the full access into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God himself, is not possible while the whole system and structure is still standing and in place. As Dr. Kruger puts it, quote, the infrastructure of the Old Testament temple has a theological message that prefigures a future New Testament reality. Any worshiper in the Old Testament realized when they looked at the temple that this was not the end itself. The temple anticipated some future reality. Whenever you went to worship God in Jerusalem, there was some barrier that prevented you from getting to God. In other words, the, the entire system points to something greater than itself, which will fulfill it as well as replace it. The, the Old Testament system and tabernacle is pointing to a, a true tabernacle, a better temple, a better tabernacle, built into the structure of the Old Testament way of worship that was offered in the temple is an inherent need to be fulfilled by something that is permanent. Is permanent. Verse 9 uses the language of symbolic or, or parable or type. All of this is type or symbolic of the present age. The Old Testament system of worship was a type that pointed to something greater than itself. And this is further revealed in the fact that according to verse 9, the gifts and the sacrifices that were offered cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Verse 10, they deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body. The sacrifices and the gifts which the Old Testament Israelites brought to the temple and the tabernacle could not actually perfect their conscience and make their conscience clean. Their consciences still accused them of their guilt, and so these sacrifices were unable to solve the problem of the heart. These rituals and sacrifices dealt only with external things, things pertaining to the body or to the flesh. The blood that the high priest offered for himself and the sins of the nation did not affect the heart. The blood that the regular priest offered for the sin offering, the guilt offering, the free will offering, all those various offerings in the Old Testament did not affect the heart of the worshiper. It made them externally clean, ceremonially clean, ritually clean on the outside, but it could not bring about an actual change of heart. As Matthew Henry puts it, these offerings, quote, could not take away the defilement or dominion of sin. They could not deliver conscience from a dread of the wrath of God. They could neither discharge the debts nor resolve the doubts of him who did the service, end quote. This lesser blood offered by a lesser priest in a lesser temple could not bring about regeneration. It could not bring about the new birth. These rituals and ceremonies, this whole system was physical, it was external, and it was earthly. And it was only for a season. Look at the end of verse 10. These were imposed 
until the time of Reformation, or, or literally until the time of the new order. They were imposed by God, so, so in that sense they are holy and they are, they are right, but they were imposed only for a season, until the time of the new covenant was to come. And this brings us to the greater blood of Christ in verses 11 through 15. We know this is a contrast because it begins with the word but, which means that all that follows in these verses is going to be better and greater than everything the author of Hebrews just talked about. The author in this section is now moving from the type to the reality, from the promise to the fulfillment, from the earthly to the spiritual, from the old covenant to the new covenant. And first in this section, we see that Christ has come to a greater tabernacle. Look at verse 11. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, that's the word for tabernacle or temple, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered. Christ has entered into the heavenly tabernacle, not the earthly tabernacle, of which the Old Testament was simply a copy The blueprint for the tabernacle and the the temple was shown to Moses on Mount Sinai and it was received from God by Moses and it was a blueprint. It was a copy of what Moses saw in heaven. It was a copy of God's throne room in the heavenlies. But it was only a copy. This heavenly tabernacle that Hebrews talks about has not been made by the hands of sinful man and it's not stained by being a part of of this fallen creation not made with hands not of this creation the tabernacle is a a spiritual and a heavenly tabernacle it's the very throne room of god where he sits surrounded by angels and elders and the souls of the elect who have gone before us in his crucified and resurrected body christ has passed through the supernatural realm that separates god from us and has actually entered into the very presence of God. He's entered into a greater tabernacle than the Old Testament tabernacle. Second, Christ has come as a greater priest, a greater high priest. When Christ appeared as a high priest, Christ in his incarnate ministry came as a high priest, and yet he's a greater high priest than all of the Old Testament priests. Because they were sinful and they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins first before they could offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people. Christ came without sin. Christ came as the sinless and spotless Lamb of God. Christ was without blemish. He lived a perfect life. He kept the law of God perfectly. This is his active obedience that we are so desperately in need of. He kept the entirety of God's law both inwardly and outwardly while he walked on this earth, and that is what makes him and his sacrifice acceptable because he is without blemish. He is without spot or stain of sin. It had to be a lamb without blemish. It had to be a perfect lamb. If Jesus could have sinned or if Jesus did sin, then his sacrifice is imperfect and therefore not acceptable to God and no atonement has been truly made and offered to God for your behalf and my behalf and we are without hope. The cross is of no avail if our great high priest is stained 
by sin. But he wasn't. <laughs> Hallelujah, right? He wasn't. This great high priest is a better high priest than all the high priests that ever served in the Old Testament. He's also greater in that he brings something with him that the Old Testament priests did not bring with them. Look at verse 11 again. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. The good things that have come. These are the blessings and the benefits that Christ brings with him. The forgiveness of sins. The reconciliation with God. The turning away of divine wrath against us. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The breaking in of the age to come into this present age. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the gospel. This is what Christ has brought with him as the beginning and foretaste of the things to come at the end of the age. That state of glory where we will be made perfect and dwell in the presence of the triune God for all eternity without sin. It's what we long for. It's what we groan for inwardly. This is what Christ brought with him. No high priest in the Old Testament brought that. Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ has brought about this time of reformation that's mentioned at the end of verse 10, the time of the new order, the new covenant. He has brought that time to which the entire Old Testament system pointed and was an earthly picture. Christ has brought the greater age with him. So better tabernacle he's entered as a better and greater high priest. Third, Christ's blood is greater than animal blood. Look at verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Christ entered through a better blood, his own blood, not the blood of animals. The high priest of old passed through the veil into the holy of holies with the blood of a bull. Christ passed through that veil in his own flesh that was pierced for our transgressions. The blood is greater because Jesus is the greater high priest. The blood is also greater because it actually penetrates into our conscience. It secured for us an eternal redemption, something that the Old Testament system could not do. It was only external cleansing. It was a temporary passing over. It averted the wrath of God, but Jesus, by means of his own blood, has actually secured for us an eternal redemption that, as 1 Peter says, is, is undefiled, incorruptible, unfading. It actually penetrates to our conscience. Look at verses 13 and 14. The blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the Ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, that which is outward and external. Verse 14, how much more? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And verse 9 said the gifts and sacrifices of the Old Testament cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Here, the blood of Christ purifies our conscience. It actually gets to the heart of the problem. 
The blood of the animals could only make a person clean externally. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses our conscience from dead works, that is, works that lead to death, trying to save yourself, trying to, to be a, a good person or a nice person or to love one another, Put, putting your hope and your trust in your own efforts, whatever they may be, baptism, going to church, treating others as you want to be treated, whatever you are putting your hope and trust in as a, as a person before Christ, those were works leading to death. But now Christ, through his blood, actually cleanses our conscience from those works. We are freed from our legalism by faith in Jesus Christ. We are freed from our own efforts because Christ has accomplished it all in himself. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. The blood of Jesus Christ actually, really, completely, and thoroughly washes us of our sins. Fourth, Christ's sacrifice is greater than animal sacrifices. Look again at verse 12. <clears throat> he entered into this tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, once for all. And that's not a reference to all people. That's a reference to all time. He entered into the holy places once for all time. Christ only had to sacrifice himself once. The priest and the high priest of old had to repeatedly offer sacrifices day after day, month after month, year after year. Christ offered himself once, and that was sufficient to cover all the sins of all his people, past, present, and future. The high priest of the old offered a sacrifice that was acceptable for one year until the next day of atonement rolled around. Christ has offered a sacrifice that is acceptable for all eternity. And so he doesn't have to enter into the Holy of Holies year after year after year. He only had to enter that true and heavenly tabernacle once, and it was enough. Fifth and final, Christ is the greater mediator of a greater covenant. Verse 15, the old Mosaic covenant was mediated via the law and animal sacrifices. He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. That's the eternal redemption. Since a death, namely Jesus' death, has occurred that actually redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Christ has fulfilled the law for us and offered himself as a better sacrifice so that now he mediates a, a better covenant, a covenant that cannot be broken he mediates a covenant where actual redemption from sins has occurred, and he mediates a covenant where the inheritance is eternal, the eternal promised land of the new heavens and the new earth with the new Jerusalem, which is better than the promised land of old, which was just geographical Canaan, an earthly portion. No, our eternal inheritance is going to be the whole world. And so in every way possible, on every single level, Hebrews here shows us how much greater Christ is than the Old Testament system. In fact, the structure of the temple itself. It all pointed to Jesus Christ. With regard to location, Christ has entered a greater tabernacle, a heavenly one. 
With regard to office, Christ has come as a greater high priest, an eternal high priest. With regard to substance, Christ offers his perfect blood, which actually affects your soul and washes it clean from sin. By faith in him. With regard to time, Christ offers himself once for all eternity instead of year after year. With regard to covenants, Christ is the mediator of a greater covenant that is actually effectual and unbroken. And so the work of the old was physical and external and earthly. The work of Jesus Christ is spiritual, internal, and heavenly. He's the greater temple. He's the greater high priest. He's the greater sacrifice. He offers the greater blood for atonement of sins. Pardon me. So the reality is, is that as we come into this world, we all stand condemned before the judgment seat of Christ. We are all born spiritually dead in our sins and incapable of doing anything of our own to save ourselves. We are without hope and comfort apart from Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, we are doing the works of the devil and we are in rebellion against God who created us in his image and demands that we worship him and him alone. We are lawbreakers and covenant breakers in Adam and the law stands accusing us and condemning us. We are guilty. <clears throat> That's what the whole Old Testament system was set up to show. <clears throat> we are guilty. But Christ. But Christ. When Christ appeared. Christ has come to stand in the place of sinners and take that guilty verdict upon himself to, to consent to the accusations and, and condemnation of the law to drink to the fullest every drop of the divine wrath of the cup of God against sin. That's what Christ has done. If you will turn from your de dead works and trust in Jesus Christ alone, the promise of God is that you will be saved. You will be saved. You will be freed from a, a guilty conscience. You will be freed from the kingdom of Satan. You will be freed from all of those dead works that cannot save you. You will be freed from trying to save yourself. You will receive an eternal inheritance. You will receive eternal redemption. You will have forgiveness of sins and you will be reconciled to your maker. That is the good news of Jesus Christ and all the work that he has accomplished on behalf of his people, to which the Old Testament was simply a sign pointing to his work that he would come and do at the right time, in the fullness of time. On a theological level, this passage shows us that there is no need for the restoration of the temple and animal sacrifices. They cannot be restored because they have been done away with because the reality and the fulfillment has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This position known as dispensational premillennialism is, is wrong. The greater sacrifice has put an end to all animal sacrifices. The greater high priest has put an end to all earthly high priests. The greater and heavenly temple has put an end to the earthly temple which was just a shadow and a copy 
on a practical level regarding us and God, it is great news indeed that we don't have to stand outside the tabernacle any longer. We don't have to stand outside. As one commentator puts it, under the new covenants, all believers can enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus opened access to God. Now all believers at all times have the right to come to God. What a privilege. End quote. This is the priesthood of all believers. We don't have to go through a, a human priest and confess our sins like the, like the Roman Catholics do. We don't have to go through Mary or the saints because we have unprecedented access to God through Jesus Christ and his work. Matthew Henry says that Christ has widened the door. In the Old Testament, you had the covenant people of God, and then you had the priest who could only go into the holy place, and then you had the high priest who could only go into the holy of holies. But in the New Testament, all of us can enter right into the holy of holies through Jesus Christ, our mediator. This means that we can draw near to God with confidence. You can draw near to God with confidence in Jesus Christ. You can have confidence that your prayers are heard when offered through Christ and not any other mediator or intermediary. Our, our prayers ascend directly into God's throne room. We can have confidence that our worship is acceptable when offered through Christ and according to his instructions. Our praise ascends directly into God's presence through Jesus Christ. So in the vertical dimension, the death and resurrection of Christ gives us confidence, it gives us assurance, it gives us direct access to God. In the horizontal dimension, regarding one another, the death and resurrection of Christ calls us to serve God and not ourselves. Look at verse 14 again. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ calls us to serve God and not ourselves. This whole section from 6 to 15 begins and ends with talking about service to God. In verse 6, it was the Old Testament priest offering service or worship to God in the Old Testament, in the Old Tabernacle. In verse 14, it is Christ, the high priest, offering himself to God in the heavenly tabernacle, which enables us to serve the living God. There's still a service. There's still worship to God and service to God, to which all of us now, through the work of Jesus Christ, have been called. We are called to live to God and not unto ourselves. Christ's death and resurrection means that our lives have been bought with a price, and we are not our own. We are called to live to God and worship in the first table of the law, worshiping him and him alone according to his instructions on his holy day in a manner that reverences his name rather than profaning it. Hebrews 12, 28 says this in part, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. We are also called to live to God in service to others in the second table of the law by loving our neighbors as ourselves with respect to our lives and our marriages and our possessions and our reputations 
In the very next chapter, Hebrews 10, 24, the author will go on to say, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. <clears throat> so the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has, has so many, on so many levels, has so much meaning and application for us. On the theological level, it shows us that, that the greater, the better, the reality and the fulfillment has come. On a, on a vertical dimension, it means we have direct access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And on a horizontal dimension, it calls us to, to turn from seeking to serve ourselves like we did when we were dead in our sins to serve one another in love. All of this is only made possible to us because of the greatness of Christ and what he has done in offering himself up as a lamb without spot or blemish, through the eternal spirit, as verse 14 says, as our great high priest who brings his own great blood to sprinkle our consciences clean when the work of Christ is applied to our heart by his Holy Spirit. Indeed, his is the greater blood. Amen and amen. Let us pray.